Good morning, Blackman Baptist Church. This is our, good morning, this is our eighth week meeting apart. And we miss you. We can't wait to be together again. Uh, we don't exactly know what the date is going to be, but we're already having conversations about what that will look like um, when it's time. And, and we cannot wait. Uh, we have, we've enjoyed, this has been a unique and a strange time. And, and it's, been, it's been kind of fun having these intimate, small little Sunday schools here. And then with the extended body out online so that we can talk. Uh, but there's nothing like being together uh, with, with the body. So we, we are looking forward to it. For the last several weeks now in our, in our sermon series, we've been tracking right along with the Gospel Project. Uh, the Sunday School curriculum that we use is, is so strong and it's, it's so valuable. And we, we decided that for this quarter, we would just track the messages right along with it. So we would get uh, a similar dose of the Scripture from Sunday School time and then transition right into uh, the sermon time and use the same scriptures, but you know, have a little bit different take. Um, this this curriculum this this time is about it's mostly from Luke, although it's drawing from other scriptures too. Um, but it's highlighting the coming of Jesus, his identity, who he is, what's his purpose, what's his ministry, and what it was it what was it like when he came. And today we're going to be looking in chapter five of Luke. Uh, and specifically, these are some of the verses where he calls his disciples. Um, so I want to start with a true story, just to kind of, uh, it's a recruiting story. And it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, in the early 80s, Steve Jobs was the founder and CEO of, of Apple Computer. And he, he'd launched the company with, with his nerdy partner, Steve Wozniak. Um, for those of you that are they're geeks. This may be uh, like sort of a canonical history. It's really it's it's an interesting thing. But they were making computers for hobbyists uh, because they were hobbyists. And right after the first one did really well, then they developed the Apple II, and it was a more polished product. And it it was made for consumers and, and regular folks. It sold like crazy, made the company into a household name. But but Steve Jobs was still in his mid twenties. And so as the company grew and succeeded, he realized that while he had a good instinct for products and a good instinct for what, what customers might want, he did not know how to run a large company. He started looking around and he made a friend with a guy named John Scully. Now Scully was the CEO of Pepsi. So he knew how to market product to consumers on a massive scale. And he knew how to, how to solve problems for large companies. So Jobs wanted to bring him into Apple to help mature the company and to help manage this thing that Apple was becoming. Scully was comfortable. He had done very well at Pepsi. He was respected. He made a ton of money. He had no need to leave the company. Um, but after a few months of this sort of courtship, but Jobs was seeking after Scully and a lot of back and forth. They had walks and they spent, they spent a lot of time together. But Jobs finally, he puts it on the line and he said to John Scully, he said, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? How's that for a recruitment pitch? Can you imagine? Uh, so Scully said yes. How could he say no? He, he changed his role. He went to Apple. He helped them launch the Macintosh, which, which people still use today. This is 1984. It's, it's 2020 and we're still using these products. Um, so as a recruiting pass, uh, pitch goes, pretty strong, pretty strong. Today's passage in Luke, we're going to look at how Jesus chose his disciples. 
And of course, this wasn't merely a job offer. He wasn't just hiring a marketing guru to come and, and make his team better. This was a summons from heaven, and it was a call to true glory. So our passage today, for those of you following along, is going to be from Luke chapter 5. We're going to use verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to skip over some things that are, that are miracles and they're valuable, but they're not about the building of the discipleship group. And then 27 through 32. So Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11, and 27 through 32. These are the same verses that we talked about in Sunday school. Hear the word of the Lord from chapter 5. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at table with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. And Father, you, you promise that your word is living that it actually changes us. And Father, I pray that you use your word to change us, to help us see right from wrong and true from false. Father, help us to see your Son more clearly through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to walk through three points with us today um, in, this, in this message. And they're going to be slightly different than the points from, from the Sunday school lesson, but that's by design. We don't want to have the same lesson exactly twice. We want to hit the same material from two different angles and hopefully glean a little bit different things out of it. So, point one, Jesus calls each person in His own way. And when I say His own way, I mean Jesus' way, right? Jesus has a plan for how He calls each person. Jesus' call, this is point two, Jesus' call is a summons. It's not exactly an invitation. And then number three, only the sick need a doctor, but everyone is sick. So let's, let's begin looking into these points this morning. Uh, point one, Jesus calls each in His own way. So in my personal reading this week, I was reading the story of, of Gideon. And God sent the angel of the Lord Himself to Gideon to tell him to rid Israel of the false gods and the Midianites. When He called Moses, He used a burning bush. I, Isaiah was called in a vision. 
So, how did the Lord choose to call Peter? We see that all these different examples from Scripture, different ways that the Lord uses to call people. And I want to I want to call out that that Jesus kind of prepared Peter in a way. Uh, it wasn't It wasn't completely a cold call in a in a salesy sort of terminology. He prepared him in several ways. I want to walk through those just for a few minutes. If we look in John, we see in John chapter one verse forty. Um, it tells us that Simon's brother, Andrew, Simon is Peter, so I may say Simon, I may say Peter, and I mean the same person. But Simon's brother, Andrew, was a follower of John the Baptist. So he had been with John the Baptist. And when John pointed out Jesus as the Lamb of God to Andrew, guess what Andrew did? He went and told his brother, Simon, we found the Messiah. We found him. So Simon had the witness of John the Baptist and his own brother that Jesus was the Messiah, not just a normal preacher. Now, when Andrew told Simon, he immediately brought him to Jesus. This is also in, in John chapter 1. He immediately brought him to Jesus. This is when Jesus told Simon that he would be called Peter. Very interesting. You're now called Simon, but I'm telling you, you'll be called Cephas or the rock or Peter. That's what, that's what that word means. And so, so Jesus had this interaction with Peter. And we see Simon actually got to meet Jesus and had a, and had a significant conversation with him. You meet somebody and they tell you you're going to get a new name. That's significant. But in John, we don't see the details of the call. And we look in the Synoptic Gospels, we can see that. Now, also in Luke chapter 4, we see that Jesus came to Simon's house. We're in Luke chapter 5. In Luke 4, Jesus visited Simon's house. And what did he do? He healed Simon's mother-in-law from a severe fever. Now, talk about a house call. That's a great physician making a house call right there. He came to Simon's house. He healed Simon's mother-in-law. Now, if you look, this is interesting. If you look in the account in Mark, it has the, the healing of Simon's mother coming after that. So it's a little bit, the sequencing of things is a little bit, can be a little bit confusing. And we don't want to hang a lot on the timing because, uh, because of that. But I would do, I would point out that at the beginning of Luke's gospel, and remember that Luke wasn't one of the initial disciples. He was a, he was a person that cared very much about the facts and the truth. And he, he tells us in the very beginning of his gospel that dear Theophilus, he's writing to a person called Theophilus, which I don't know if it's a real person's name or just a God lover, right? That's what the word means. So he's saying, for those of you who love God, why am I writing this gospel? To give you an orderly sequence of events. That's what he tells them. And, and so Luke, Luke took great care to make sure that after talking to all the eyewitnesses and everyone who had been involved, he had the sequence right. Um, so we're in Luke right now. We're going to roll with Luke. Finally, we have this amazing episode on the boat. The scene is the morning after a day of healings and exorcisms in Capernaum. So when Jesus goes out on the beach um, that morning, he had already been in town the night before, the day before. And Simon and his partners, we can see this from the text, they're out cleaning their nets after a night of fishing. We talked about this in Sunday school. That you can imagine they're tired after fishing all night. And they're not only tired, they're disappointed because it was it was a futile night. They didn't catch anything. Um, so you see Jesus come out on the beach. They're cleaning their nets after their worthless night. And what does Jesus do? He says, Excuse me, may I borrow your boat? I would like to teach these people from a place where they could see me a little bit better. He wants to use their boat as a preaching platform. So tired and frustrated Simon now has to keep the boat steady while Jesus teaches to the people sitting on the shore. 
I, I can just imagine Jesus. He knows exactly what's happening. He has Simon as a captive audience. <laughs> he knows, or at least he, he thinks he might be the Messiah. Simon does. But now he has to sit and listen to the teachings of this man while he waits to get his boat back because he's loaned his boat. And what's Simon thinking? We don't know. It's not recorded. But when he finished teaching, Jesus turned to Peter and said what? Put out into deep water. and Let down your nets for a catch. That's what, that's what Jesus said, said to Simon. Now, now imagine what went through Simon's mind. Again, we don't know what went through Simon's mind, but it's not hard to think of things that might have gone through his mind. He might think, okay, you might be the Messiah. Your sermon that I just heard on my boat was brilliant. You may be a good carpenter, but come on, stay in your lane. I'm the fisherman here, right? Today's just not my day. I know when to call it, call it a day. But And we'll see later how impulsive Simon is. But in this case, we see Simon being respectful. And what does he say? He says, Master. He calls Jesus Master already here. Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Does he sound enthusiastic? I don't think so. But he's willing. Okay, He's obedient and he's going to do it. I picture them, these fishermen, respectfully, but very skeptically, very doubtfully, letting down the nets. They go out to the deep water. Maybe some of them had a glimmer of hope. Maybe they thought, it's worth a shot. Nothing else has worked. Uh, maybe they were just humoring the teacher. We don't know. But you know what? It didn't take long to find out what was going to happen. Because immediately, they had so many fish in their nets that the nets themselves began to tear. And when the partners came to help pull, pull the fish into the boats, there were so many, the boats actually started to sink. Two boats full. And what's Peter's response as soon as he sees this? Perfect. Perfect. He acknowledged that he is in the presence of holiness, of power. And falling to his knees, he said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Peter knew what he was dealing with. He maybe completely didn't understand, but he knew he was in the presence of power and divinity. And he understood his own position before him. This is fascinating. So Jesus has been preparing Peter. Now Jesus gave Peter an advance word from John through Andrew. He gave him an advance meeting. He may have healed his wife's mother from a fever the night before. And now he has caused a miracle demonstrating his power over nature itself. And it's in this context that Jesus makes the call. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Or as Matthew put it, I will make you fishers of men. I like Matthew's uh, poetry there a little bit better. I will make you fishers of men. You're going to be catching people, Simon. Let's look forward to verse 27. Because we want to look at, at how Jesus prepares people for the call. And in verse 27, we see the call of this tax collector, Levi. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Matthew is literally sitting at his desk at work, and Jesus comes and calls him to follow. I can just picture Matthew sitting in his little tax booth. Maybe he's catching up on paperwork. Maybe he's preparing his deposit for Rome. 
Maybe he's making a list of people who are late on their payments. Maybe he's playing solitaire. I don't know. I don't think he's expecting his whole life to change at this moment. So what preparation did Jesus provide for Levi? This disciple who would write the gospel. Absolutely no preparation is described. We see no preparation in Scripture. Perhaps it's possible Matthew knew Jesus by reputation. Maybe he had heard or even seen some of the healings. Maybe other miracles that had been going on around this this neighborhood. Maybe he knew at least by reputation. We don't know. But there was nothing specific like Peter. Peter got three contacts, three very specific and unique things. All Matthew got was come and follow. Matthew gets the call. Peter gets the call. Peter with much preparation. Matthew with almost none. What's the principle? Jesus calls every one of us in His own way. I mean that Jesus calls us the way He wants to call us, based on His plan, His knowledge. It won't look the same for me as it does for you. So I would ask, ask you to think about this. How, how did Jesus prepare you? For some of us, He placed us in Christian homes where our parents saturated us with Bible knowledge and lived out a love for Jesus so that we gently came to faith in a way that feels almost inevitable, as if it couldn't have been any other way. For some of us, He lets us wander lost for years and then suddenly calls us the first time we hear the Gospel. What's your story? Do you think that Peter recognized where he was headed with the advance notice that he got? Maybe, maybe not. What advance notice have you had that you've been ignoring? Because God speaks to us in many ways and sometimes we don't always notice that it's God. Is Jesus preparing you for a call? Maybe He's preparing to surprise you. Point two, Jesus' call is a summons, not an invitation. So have you ever been summoned for jury duty or to be a witness at a trial? A summons is a command to come. Bring yourself to court. It is not an invitation that you might politely decline. Disobeying the summons puts you in a bad place with the court. Or how about the draft? When I was 18, I had to register for the draft. I'm sure a lot of you men remember doing this. And and I looked it up because I wasn't sure if we still do it. And apparently it's still a thing. Uh, We haven't had a draft in my living memory. But but when I had to sign up when I was 18, it felt very real. And there was a... (laughs) There was a Vietnam movie out at the time. We, me and my buddy went and watched it. That made it even more real. Um, so we went and, and signed up for the draft. We haven't had a draft, but if we ever do exercise the draft, it won't be optional. If you're called, you have to go. You don't politely opt out and say, mm, no thank you. And it's a bit like that with Jesus. It's not a perfect analogy. None of these analogies are never, ever perfect. He doesn't say, Simon, if you don't have any plans, what do you say? What do you think? Would you like to come and travel me with me for a while? Or Matthew, looks like you're a good writer. You've, you're writing all kinds of things over there. How would you like to come with me and kind of record what you see? Because there's going to be some interesting things happening. Could even be a bestseller. Who knows? No. He just says, follow me. Follow me. That's the instruction. We see even for Simon... In the, in the synoptic gospels, or in, in the other gospels, it says, follow me. In Luke, it just says, I will make you, I'll make you catch people. 
Peter and Matthew understood this. Their response was identical. Leaving everything behind, they began to follow him. That was the response. They recognized this wasn't a a polite invitation. This was a command from God. Did they ask Jesus to lay out the terms? Well, Jesus, how, how much does this deal pay? How much vacation do I get? What are the terms? What kind of hotels do you stay in, Jesus, when you travel? Can I keep the points on my travel card? Uh, Jesus, is your ministry going to be good for my resume? No, no, I'm being silly. Really, they asked for no terms. There wasn't a negotiation. This wasn't a sur- this was a surrender in obedience to the call of the Lord, just like Isaiah. He surrendered, just like Gideon. And Gideon took a little bit of extra help, but he surrendered finally to what God wanted him to do. These men knew what they were leaving behind. They knew they were leaving behind stable jobs that they understood. You know, Simon knew how to fish. He had a bad night, but he knew how to fish. Matthew knew how to collect taxes, and that was a steady income. So they knew what they were leaving behind. They did not know what was in front of them. But they did know who was in front of them. Jesus, the Lord of the sea, Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, had come and summoned them to follow. How could they say no? In John's record of the conversation after the Last Supper, Jesus is reassuring His disciples that they are more than mere servants and disciples. They're friends, He calls them. And He tells them in John 15, 16, You did not choose Me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He will give you. Why? Why does He tell them this? Why would I even bring this up here? Because if their position as a disciple depended on their own strength, their own will, their own power, it just might not be enough. They might waver. They might question their decision. They might not have the strength to pull through. No, the decision was Jesus's. He made the call and they responded in obedience to His will. Do you understand that God's call is a summons? To obey and to follow His call is to participate in His eternal plan to submit to His will, even when you don't understand. These men didn't understand where they were headed. They just said yes. They just obeyed. This can be unnerving. It can be frightening. You may not know what will be in front of you, but you can know who is calling. So have you answered the summons? Follow Him. Get ready to pick up what He tells you to pick up and drop what He tells you to drop. Go with Him. And what's He going to do? Make you a fisher of men. That is His plan. Point three. Only the sick need a doctor, but everyone is sick. So immediately after Levi followed Jesus, He prepared a banquet. We talked about this in Sunday school, how the immediate first response of Matthew when he met and followed Jesus was just to bring his friends along for the ride and say, you know what, you've got to meet this person. Most amazing person, you've got to meet him. Remember, that tax collectors were typically pretty wealthy relatively to the other people. They made their money basically by taking a commission on the taxes collected. Uh, They took tax money and a little extra from their fellow Jews and they paid it to the Romans, keeping the difference for themselves. And that's why they were were hated. They were not popular. They were kind of considered, in a sense, traitors. Um, At least not very loyal. And it's easy, it was easy in that role to be dishonest and take a little too much because 
If you made a mistake like that, it only benefited you. And it was hard for the common people to argue with the math or the tax laws because they were not in a position of power. And many of them didn't have the the knowledge or understanding to to make such arguments. These tax collectors then, they were kind of considered traitors, not good people at all. So when Jesus went to Levi's banquet, he attracted criticism from the Pharisees. Why? Why would you eat with tax collectors and sinners? They had a fundamental assumption about the Messiah that was not working out. They assumed that the Messiah, as people were starting to talk about this person might be, God's righteous one, would want to come and hang out with the most righteous people in town. Okay? Well, no one would argue that the most righteous people in town were the Pharisees. No one would have made that argument that they weren't. These guys were the most righteous people anybody knew. But Jesus didn't come to fulfill assumptions. He came to fulfill God's plan. He came to fulfill the Scriptures. And what is His answer to them? I love this. It is not those who are healthy who need the doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is so simple, but it's so important. When Jesus, the eternal Son of God, gave up the perfection of heaven to take on flesh and live among us, it was not with the ambition of hanging out with Pharisees. Remember that. He did not come so that He could hang out with Pharisees. The Pharisees see themselves as the cream of the crop. But remember where Jesus came from. He came from heaven. He was looking down at the Pharisees and not being impressed. Right? So for Him to come hang out with the Pharisees, not His ambition at all. As righteous as they were, they were just filth compared to what Jesus knew from heaven. So Jesus here is comparing Himself to a doctor. I love this. Why would a doctor go to the healthy? It doesn't even make sense. It's ridiculous. Doctors are for sick people. And Jesus, the righteous one, is for sinners. The funny thing here is that the tax collectors and the sinners knew they were sinners. So Jesus embraced them. The Pharisees did not see themselves as sinners. So they held back. And Jesus let them. He allowed them to hold back. Now there's an old saying, um, and it's so old that I don't even have a a person to attribute it to, but the quote says, there are none so blind as those who will not see. There are none so blind as those who will not see. And it kind of sounds like a Bible verse, but it's not. Um, But it is similar to what Jesus told the Pharisees later in John when they questioned Him after He healed the man that was born blind. And He told them, because they asked Him, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus' response to them, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. These men were so proud of their spiritual sight, but yet they didn't have it. But their pride was their sin. And Jesus said, fine, I'm going to let you go. He said, he said I, only came for the righteous. I only came for the sinners. I didn't come for righteous people. I came for sinners. And He let the Pharisees go believing that they were righteous in this case. There are two kinds of sinners. Those who admit that they need to be rescued and those who think they're already on God's team. This is one of the most deadly traps though. We've all heard stories of someone who's having a heart attack and blames it on indigestion or some trivial thing only to lose their life because they didn't take it seriously. They thought, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh yeah, it's a big deal. 
Do you recognize your need for a Savior? Do you think that you were born on God's team? Do you think you're on God's team already because of your parents? Because of your church membership? Do you think you're on God's team because He respects your your upstanding ethics or your church attendance or anything else that you might have done? How about your Bible reading discipline? How's that? How about your knowledge of Scripture? The Pharisees, I promise you, had better knowledge of Scripture. God's not impressed. The Pharisees were more faithful in many of these details than everyone around them. And their confidence in their own righteousness was exactly the thing that kept them from the doctor they needed. So my question to you is, will you humble yourself so that He doesn't have to humble you? Will you go to the doctor because you recognize that you're sick? Or, better yet, will you let the doctor make a house call? Because that's what He does. He came to earth from heaven. The great doctor's office in the sky. He came to earth to be here with us. Right? To make this house call. Because He knew we were sick and we needed Him. Let me conclude briefly. Jesus prepares everyone for the call in His own way. Peter got all kinds of advance warning while Matthew just got a command. So pay attention. Pay attention to what God's doing in your life. He may be preparing you for a call. He may be preparing you for the call to come to salvation, to recognize who His Son is and what He has done for you. Or if you're already a believer, He may be preparing you for another call. So pay attention. What is God doing in your life? He he doesn't always speak from a cloud. Uh, Sometimes He speaks through other people. Sometimes he, He speaks through circumstances. Be ready to say yes. Jesus' call is a summons, not an invitation. When Jesus gives you a command... Can you say yes when He calls? He's your Lord. He's your Creator. He has your good at heart. And He wants you to join Him in eternal work. So when He calls with His command, respond with obedience. Even if it doesn't make sense to you because it makes sense to Him. And finally, Jesus only came for the sick, but everyone is sick. If you're sick, come to Dr. Jesus. He came for you. He does not hold Himself above helping you. In fact, He... He told us He's not ashamed to call us brothers for those of us that He has saved. He he doesn't hold Himself above, above us. He came to help the sick. But if you think you aren't sick, be careful. The Pharisees thought they weren't sick. If you think you're a good person because you have done because you haven't done some horrible crime, you don't understand. If you think you're on God's team because you have some Bible knowledge or some denominational membership or good parents. No, those things don't help you. You can only be on God's team through Jesus. You need a doctor. Let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning. We thank You for Your Word, but we thank You even more for Your Son, Jesus, who is the great physician who came to make the house call for the world. And Father, I pray for everyone that hears this and listens to this. I pray that they'll understand that Father... Without Jesus, we are guilty before You because we have rebelled against the Creator of the universe. And the only thing that makes sense is death as a penalty for that rebellion. But Father, You sent Your Son Jesus to take the penalty for us, and He did. He died on the cross to pay for our rebellion so that we don't have to pay for it, so that we can be adopted as sons of God, the Creator and the Lord of all. Father, Please, I pray that you help us to understand that, to appreciate it, Father, to embrace it, to say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.